thank you for joining us today on Entrepreneurial Impact. Joe Martin and Dave Donaldson, your hosts. And before we even start anywhere, if you're tuning in for your first time, give us a follow, give us a listen. I promise you're going to get some great nuggets today. And I want to kick it over to our guest today who's going to be talking about the economy with me. And what's cool about it is that she's not a numbers nerd and we're actually going to have some fun banter with it. So Lisa, I'm going to kick it over to you. Give us a little bit of background about yourself and then let's <laughs> dig into like what 2024 has to hold, uh, in store for us. Yeah. Hey, Joe, thanks so much for the invitation to be with you all today. Um, you know, it's funny, I, I am a little bit of a numbers nerd, so we're going to nerd out a little bit right on some data. Um, what I'm really been interested in, though, and really passionate about over you know, the last couple of decades is, you know, helping um, real estate professionals be able to use data and information on the housing market, on the economy so that so that you all can be a resource, right, to your clients and your colleagues and your and your community, really, um, because um, those working in real estate are really on the ground who are helping people make really, really important decisions. And so I love being able to present data and talk about information and trends in the economy and the housing market, hopefully in a way that um, resonates with people and where they can tell a story with the data. Um, and I think... Uh, Given how uncertain everything is, both in the economy and the housing market, sometimes it's hard to wade through all that. And I really like the idea of trying to like parse through on what's important so and what we should be paying there's attention no to. There's no lack of interest. I can assure you as to what's about going on in the market. So there's nothing better than having the chief economist to Bright join us because I think unfortunately too many of our listeners and real estate agents across the globe get their news from the wrong place. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think, you know, we can talk about that a little bit, too. I think one of the biggest challenges right now, though, is a lot of people are just getting their information from a source that is providing a national picture. And that might have been OK during the height of the pandemic where every market kind of looked the same. But as we come out of the pandemic and as markets are reacting differently, it's more important than ever to be getting your information from a local source. Um, from uh, what's going on in, you know, Arlington, Alexandria, D.C. is different than what's going on in Baltimore, in Howard County, what's different than going on in California and Florida. So, you know, making sure we're paying attention to local information is, is I think, so more important now than ever. This one then, Lisa, um, there's been a trend of social media posts about Fed Powell doing six rate cuts next year. How do you feel about that one? Um, I don't think that there's going to be six rates this, I mean, this year in 2024. No, you're making me happy because yeah. there was a whole like <laughs> other episode that I did with Dave and he was like, yeah, six rate cuts. I go, no, there is not six rate cuts. There is nothing on Google. Go type in <laughs> Fed Powell six rate cuts 2024. You'll find nothing on it. I don't know who decided to make their own like uh, fact uh, in the past like 90 days about that, but there is nothing. Um, so anyway, it's on the internet. It's got to be true. It's got to be true. Well, you know, and it's interesting. I think there was a lot of um, a lot of consensus for a while that the Fed were, were they were going to cut rates uh, in March. And um, I don't know. I think it's possible we could be looking at their June meeting before we see that first rate cut. And I think the reason is because you know twofold is the labor market is still really strong. We had a really strong uh, December jobs report that came out, and inflation is still holding pretty sticky. You know, as you guys all know, we want inflation down to 2%. And it's that la it's like being on a diet, right? You know, when you go on a diet, you lose the early weight first, and it's really easy. And then it's those last five pounds that are tough to get off. And we're in those last five pounds with inflation. And so we're not, it's going to take a lot to get there. And so I think they want to be really careful not to cut before we we're sure that we kind of have crossed that, so that inflation sort of threshold. Of, uh, inflation, 
So when you're talking inflation and what they're, you're talking mm. about CPI that usually excludes household consumption, yeah. which I think everybody on this call or that's listening needs to understand is that like normal CPI excludes it. And like, or when they talk about core, like, cause it's important to understand that the normal like median household that's talking right. about trying to, at least in the, the DC area has got to be making around 160,000 actually like have a living here to live okay and survive that like what inflation typically impacts consumption mm -hmm. around groceries, gas, heating, utilities. And the most of the time mm -hmm. when you see that in the news, they're actually mm -hmm. discounting inflation because they're taking those key components out of their metric, which is, can be deceiving. Yeah, it's a little complicated. So I will say the headline CPI number that uh, is out there, I think it was 3.6% in um, January. I might be wrong on that. But the headline CPI number uh, does reflect the sort of full basket of household consumption goods, including food and energy. So when we see that headline number, it does include all those things we buy from airline tickets to uh, bread at the supermarket, to eating out, to uh, getting a haircut, um, to filling up the tank. Um, the, uh, what it doesn't, uh, and, and the biggest part of it is frankly shelter costs, right? The, uh, the money we put out every month to, to rent a, a house. It doesn't include buying a home. We can talk about that quirk too in a minute, which is a little weird, but, um, but yeah, you're right. The, the, the level that the Fed is watching is that core CPI that excludes food and energy. They tend to be a little more volatile. They move with the weather and they move with like global issues. Um, and so, uh, uh, I think when they're talking about, uh, inflation at 2%, they're looking at it at that core. But let's be very clear, even though inflation's coming down, it's not that prices are coming down, right? To your point about, you know, consumers are still feeling like stuff feels more expensive than it did last year. Oh, by the way, it's 3.6% more expensive than it was last year. And I think we are going to be in this new era of higher prices, even when the inflation rate comes down, and that's we're sort of resetting at higher prices for a lot of Everything things. is cyclical and impacts each other is that you had rates of people's compensation go up. So if compensation goes up, there has to be a past cost to the consumer. So everything becomes compounds on each other. Right. Like one issue becomes another one, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is really, really hard to cut wages after you raise them, right? You just, we don't see that very often. The, so, the one yeah, that, I would, with that I've been tracking that I don't think has a lot of like eyeballs on it is the... Um, the delta difference between um, the U.S. debt consumption and the U.S. savings. So when you saw back in, call it, uh, let's call it April of 2020 or even June of 2020, so a couple months after the whole thing collapsed in March mm -hmm. and then came back up, is you had a massive surplus of personal savings that, based on the numbers I've been watching, um, the surplus became a deficit in December of this past year of 2023, because the spending okay. of US households exceeded their savings. And that has been probably kicking the can on a lot of the uh, GDP, or not kicking the can, but it's inflated the GDP that we've seen over the past two and a half years, three years, um, increasing. So my question, because I've been watching that, because I think that's actually gonna be the more of a, the, the black swan event that actually causes some form of collapse because you're also now seeing credit card debt for personal consumption start to increase as well. So what are your thoughts on that one? Because that one's been the one I've been watching the most. Yeah. 
I hundred percent agree. I think I think you know we we know that the uh, the economy is driven by the consumer, right? Seventy percent of GDP is based on consumer spending, business and government spending, and some import exports. The remaining thirty percent. So what the consumer does is super important, and we have been on a revenge, you know, spending you know spree. We haven't we weren't able to spend during COVID. COVID we saved a lot of money, and we've been spending a lot of money, and that has to come that has to slow down. It, it just, as you're saying, it's, it's unsustainable. Um, and so as we see credit card debt start to rise, as we see savings rates get back to more typical uh, areas, we're going to start to see that show up in the GDP numbers. Like, so we're seeing, I think most of the projections are for GDP to grow by about 1% next year. We've been at like three, four, 5% in 2023. And I, I think that reflects primarily that slowdown in consumer spending. Um, it's interesting that we haven't seen it yet, right? We saw, it was a really good December for consumer spending. Mm -hmm. We were still spending a lot of money. <laughs> so when does the, when does it kind of start to slow down? Because as you rightly point out, we, we kind of are. So I bring that one up just because like, I think it's down. important to bring up because if, if you start to see the debt go up, you're going to have your debt to income ratios for qualifying for loans are going to have a problem. And you're already yeah. having the issues of, you know, eight to, you know, we're having 8% or now we're down under six and a half, but the, the issue that I look at is that this is where, I don't know, I would love to have you, your perspective on what's going on with the federal budget uh, and the fact that they keep extending the, the, the mm. budget line so they don't shut down the U.S. like the U.S. government doesn't shut down. Mm. Because right now, based on where the federal funds mm -hmm. rate are, is I forget how much it is, but they, they can't keep their budget based on what their the federal mm. debt is. That's why it didn't make any sense to me that they didn't go after the yeah. Fed, even though it's independent from the U.S. like spending, because it's a completely the central bank is not in, like they're completely <laughs> neutral. But like now you've got this debt, this interest yeah, payment yeah. that is crippling to the U.S. budget because now your your the federal funds rate is like four times what it was three years ago. And so what are your like? How does that impact our economy? Sure. And also, how does that impact at the local level um, the housing industry? Well, I think I think that uh, the it's funny we we focus a lot on like the Federal Reserve and what they're going to do on rate hikes or rate cuts. When sometimes people focus on that a lot when they're trying to figure out where mortgage rates are headed. But the biggest factor in the mortgage market right now, I think, is this issue of the um, kind of ballooning federal debt and that the interest payments on that debt is going to. Uh, lead to bond yields remaining higher than they would. They're going to have to, the government's going to have to issue a lot more debt in order to pay off, uh, uh, pay off the interest. And so that's going to result in higher yields to attract investors. And as the mortgage rate follows that yield on, ten, on treasuries, we're going to see mortgage rates remain elevated. I think that's the primary reason why we're going to see rates stay in the sixes, mortgage rates stay in the sixes because of the uh, issue that the government's gotten ourselves into where we have this huge debt to pay off. Look, we've had uh, a rising uh, budget debt and deficit for a long time. Uh, it's it cracks me up. Like it's it's like everybody's surprised, but we can see it coming, right? You see the spending. It's like you just have to add it up. Um, and um, it has been a constant in politics to kick that issue down the road. And I, I guess I'm I'm not a political person per se, but it, it feels like. Uh, we're going to have to decide how we want to handle this in the future. And the, there's only two answers, raising taxes or cutting spending. And no politician in there is. Yeah, you don't win the votes by numbers. talking about raising taxes. Or, yeah, uh, it's an election year. I wouldn't hold my breath on that. <laughs> <laughs>
Right. And I don't mean to be, and I don't want to, uh, let me be very clear. I, I think there would also be people who say that, um, I don't, we don't want to talk about this, I'm sure, but that there, the other way to do it is to uh, improve efficiency and to make uh, the economy more uh, efficient per person worked or whatever. And so I know there's a lot of that talk out there about AI and I'm really interested. I know nothing about it, but I'm really interested in how and if that would change our economy. And frankly, if there are implications for the housing sector, um, but again, yeah, that may be a topic for a totally different conversation. Because anytime there's a change, a monumental shift or change yeah, yeah. in policy procedure or how things affect people's jobs, right? Whether it's the invention of the tractor, right? To, to now we hear AI. AI has been around right. for a while. It just, it's now hitting the mainstream. So people are scared of right. it, right? So they need to get ahead of it and right. understand how to embrace it, right. to utilize it in the day to day therefore leverage it in their careers and not be afraid of it and then see how things change. So for everybody listening, the reason I brought up the the aspect of the ballooning federal debt and what Lisa just brought up about the bond yields is that the reason I, I led everyone down this rabbit hole is that for anybody out there that thinks your interest rates are somehow going to get below 6% this year or next year, you can track the bond market and that will tell you exactly where that's going. Currently, one of Lisa's stats was that the spread um, in between the 10-year and 30-year fixed is 280 basis points, so 2.8%. And about two year, 2019, if you were using that as your baseline, I think the spread was 160 basis points. Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing is, is that there's this spread because there's this huge interest payment that the federal government has to pay. Hence, they have to increase the BIPs that they're taking in as margin to pay off. So what you're also hearing is they're issuing future debt to pay off current debt. And anybody that's played the shell game of robbing Peter to pay Paul, eventually the cash runs out and you can't keep shifting around the shells. So um, that's why it's important to understand what your legislation's doing for taxes, what they're doing for incentives. And it goes into a whole nother ramification of like the U.S. tax um, system that the U.S. the U.S. government, uh, you say, say you read the 400 pages of tax code, 80 pages of it tells you how to file your taxes. The other 100 and, uh, 320 pages tells you where the government wants private money invested, and they will give you benefits on, on said capital gains or other delayment of tax payments. So I say this because if I'm a real estate agent, I have to realize that consumption's going up, debt's going up, interest rates aren't going to move anywhere in the next 24 months. So defining reality is imperative to be like, you know, smart in the future. So these are all things to realize is that where we're at currently is probably the best it's going to be or where it's going to be for 24 months. So how do I become a master of the current environment, knowing full well that like, this is where we're at. So that's why I wanted to kind of land those couple of questions with you, Lisa. And I think this in-depth analysis, and this is, it's complicated to look like Lisa's an economist, Joe plays one on TV, and I'm just a real estate agent. Okay. But so for everybody else, these are hard things to for them to tie to digest, right? So getting to that granular level is important to understand that yes, rates aren't going to move, but the bigger factors are this, right? And you mentioned this, the tee off that focus local, right? Mm-hmm. Look at your inventory. Lisa, are, is, is inventory going to fluctuate in such a degree that's going to affect home values? Is it going to affect demand? to a degree that it's going to bring down prices. Right. No. <laughs> so I, right, so I, but 
May I elaborate? <laughs> the, um, the, um, you know, I, I never want to be the person because people have done this before 15 years ago. I never want to be the person who stands up and says prices okay. aren't going to fall the day before well, Lehman well, Brothers goes under or the before screen. home prices halted. Right. So, so you, no, no, no. But so you spend, you right. spend a lot of time thinking about what would make home prices fall. Right. And there's two reasons, supply increasing significantly or demand contracting significantly. And I can't see where the new supply is coming from, right? In our market, in the DMV in particular, we're not building a ton of new housing. Sussex County, Delaware, a little bit of a different story. They're building like gangbusters out in Sussex County, Delaware, a lot of new housing construction. In most markets, though, we're not. And then a demand. If if you think about uh, uh, folks who are in that first-time homebuyer age, people in their 30s, homeownership rates for that group are much lower now than they were for similar ages 10, 20 years ago. In fact, if the homeownership rates were the same for this current group, we'd have 750,000 more homeowners in America right now. There is significant amounts of pent up demand. So I can't see any reason how demand will shrink. What we do need to be concerned about though, is we are hitting affordability ceilings, right? We are putting people out of the market who are gonna stay renters longer simply because the numbers don't work anymore. And I've been sort of amazed at how first time buyers in particular in our market have been able to make the numbers work. <laughs> and uh, it has taken a little bit of creativity sometimes. It's taken a little bit of compromise and trade-offs on the type of home or where the home is. Um, people are making it work, but I don't see demand falling or supply increasing no, enough I, for us I to see major conversations with all the time. And there, there's a tremendous difference between the market collapse of 07, right? Economically speaking, real estate speaking, right. and the effects of that to where we are today, right? However, where we are today is due to some of the residual yeah. changes that took place back in 07. And for a lot of people that got into the business, heck, a whole generation of people got in and got out of the business between then and now. Like I was one of the few that got in in 07 mm. and I'm still here, right? But I lived that experience in Arizona mm. on the ground. Well, here's what I really, really see. And you touched on it by construction standpoints. Mm. There was a tremendous amount of construction in the areas most heavily impacted that was ground zero in 07. The builders hit the brakes, pumped the brakes and right. stopped for the better part of a decade from mass building. Mm -hmm. We are now today feeling those ramifications mm -hmm. at enormous levels, right? And that's why we can't catch up. One of the major mm -hmm. factors, just one. Do you know why, one. do you know what the biggest hindrance for most builders putting out inventory if you were to ask them? So I've never I, looked I at have the my, stats I have on my this one for certain, like, professional surveys, um, but for the builders I know in the DC metro area, Northern Virginia and DC, it's the zoning issues that they don't want to deal with the headaches of rezoning it, HOAs, ANCs, council people throwing their like nonsense at them where they're like, you know what? I don't really want to build up here then because you're going to give me all these headaches of what I got to go through for permitting, rezoning, you know, special use permits, all that kind of stuff. You know what? I'll go out to south of Richmond or outside of Richmond where I can buy up land for cheap and deliver the thing and not have any of these like these constraints. So I'm understanding a lot of builders have those things and that's why they're not building in certain like highly density, dense, densely populated areas because they're running all these like uh, like locks. Yeah.